Amen. Who indeed is like you, Lord? There's none other, no one near. You're such a great and an awesome God. Lord, we come humbly before you. We love you so very much. We are so blessed to, to know the creator of the universe in an intimate way. And Father, we desire to know you better. We long, Lord, to see you face to face. Lord, but until that day, I pray that, Lord, we would get a greater glimpse of who you are while we're here on earth. So, Father, as we go to your word, I pray that you'd be our teacher. Lord, that your spirit would minister to every heart that is here. We love you, Lord, and we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Welcome to Calvary Chapel. It is great to have you here, and I hope you feel welcomed. If it's your first time, we're blessed that you're here. And, uh, you know, Calvary Chapel, we don't have church membership. You show up, you're part of the family. We got Jesus in common, we got everything in common. Amen? Amen. So I'm just glad you guys are here, and again, I hope you feel blessed. Now, if you didn't get a Bible earlier, you're going to need one. And youth group, let me see your Bibles. Hold them up. Oh, right over here they need some, I know that. Anybody else needs a Bible, raise your hand. What's that? All right. I could embarrass him, but I won't. It's all right. One of the ones without a Bible was my son. It's all right. Okay. Turn your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5. I know he's got a whole bunch of Bibles at home. That's just wrong. Ephesians chapter 5. Before we get to the text, I do want to say again, Potter's Field on Wednesday, and uh, be praying, be, you know, again, be praying for people by name that you want to invite, and, you know, encourage them to come, and then be praying for Wednesday night, that the kingdom of God would be added to on Wednesday, amen? That people's eternities would be transformed, that people who are dead in their trespasses and sins would come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Then pray for Thursday morning, because praise God that we have that Monta Vista Christian has made time available. They're going to move all the classes back. And uh, he's going to be sharing, the Pottersville ministry is going to be sharing with the entire high school on Thursday morning. And I know we need, if anybody wants to come help us, we're going to go over there and set up. And I don't know, there, I think there's eight or 900 kids in the high school. And I know many of them do not know the Lord. Even though they go to a Christian school, their parents send them there because of, of the education. And you know what? This is really the education they need. Amen. They need to come to know Christ. So be praying for Thursday morning. I so desperately want to see people's lives touched and people drawn into the kingdom of God. Well, this morning as we continue to look at this letter to the church at Ephesus, Paul's been writing this letter. The first three chapters, as we've seen, have been ba- were reminding them of their spiritual riches. Something you and I need to remember. Who we are in Christ. How rich we are in Christ. How we've been brought near by the shed blood of Jesus Christ. How we can know Almighty God in an intimate and a personal way. But it's important that we just not stop in knowing who we are in Christ, but then we take our our position in Christ and we have a practical response to it. It's one thing to know here who we are in Him, and it's another thing to live it out every day. The first three chapters talk about our beliefs and who we are, and then the last three chapters talk about how we are to behave, how we are to respond to God's grace. How to respond to the fact that we've been blessed and chosen and adopted and accepted and redeemed and forgiven 
And we've been brought near by the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And as again, we've said each week, because there's some of you who may be new, you know, it's always this way in the Bible. First we see the work of God and then man's response. It's never the other way around. We don't earn our salvation by our good works. It comes by His great grace. No doubt in a room this size, there's some of you who think you're not good enough. You're not living right. We had a young man walk into the church office this week and was just looking across me saying, there's no, I, I'm not good enough to be forgiven. I said, you're right, but God will forgive you anyway. Amen? Amen? And the point is that we need to understand that it's God's grace that comes first and that our response that comes after. But it's also important to note that while we believe very clearly in the grace of God, it's by grace we've been saved, not of works, lest any man should boast. That there should be works and there should be holiness in the life of the believer. As we came to chapter 4 the last couple of weeks, we saw how we're to respond to God's grace. First of all, we respond in humility. Guys, we should never be arrogant because we've been forgiven. Amen? Forgiveness ought to produce brokenness, not arrogance. And we ought to be humbled by the fact that Almighty God would forgive us. And I think that's something we ought to contemplate daily. It's how great God is and how gracious God is. Do you ever sit and think, man, I can't believe God forgave me? We ought to think about that more often. But not only should we walk in humility, but we ought to walk in unity. Because as Christians, we're all part of one body, with one spirit and one baptism. And you know what? We're one in Christ. And you know the enemy would love to have us fighting with each other while people are going to hell without Jesus. And what we ought to be is unified with one passion and one heart as one body reaching out to the lost. And then the way that that happens is that you and I must use our individual gifts. Can I encourage you with something? There's no greater joy in the world than being in the center of God's will and using the gifts He has given you for His glory. Can I tell you, there's nothing greater. And I want to encourage you that I I will never ask you to do anything, but I would love to give you every opportunity to use the gifts God's given you. Because if I ask you, you'll do it for me. I want you to do it because the Lord is stirring up your heart. Then last week we saw that we are to be, how to, we saw how we're to walk as Christians, and then we saw how we're not to walk in the world last week. That we're not to, to no longer walk the way the world lock, walks. The world is spiritually dead. The world resists the Holy Spirit. And you and I as Christians should be different than the world. There's a, again a move in the church today to be as much like the world as we can. Heaven forbid. We should be nothing like the world. Amen? In the world, but not of it. How do we live different than the world? We walk in newness of life. Not just the Spirit with us, but the Spirit in us. And we walk in the power of the Holy Spirit upon every aspect of life. So this morning as we come to chapter 5 and continue to look at how we're to respond to God's grace, how we can walk worthy of our calling as Christians, how we can no longer walk like the world, we're going to talk about how we do that today. And let me tell you that the way we do it, as we're going to see in the very first verse, is to be imitators of God. Now here's something that's absolutely true. Everybody's trying to imitate somebody. Everybody's got a role model or a mentor or somebody they look up to. This is an absolute fact in the world we live in today. And you know, as God's children, we ought to be imitating our Father. Our pattern for behavior, our attitudes, our dress, our buying habits. Again, all those things today are often following the pattern of those we view as successful. You know, I was in advertising, most of you know, for many years before, you know, I became full-time pastor. And, 
you know, it's an absolute fact that look how much money is spent by advertising companies to get people, you know, they, they pay Tiger Woods tens of millions of dollars to wear a Nike hat. Now why in the world are they doing that? To drive a Buick. Now why do they do that? Because they know that people think he's successful and they'll want to follow his pattern. Well, Tiger Woods has a Buick, I better get one. That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life, but it works. You know, he gets the ball 400 yards. Maybe if I have Nike balls, I'll drive the ball. It doesn't work that way. But you know what? We pattern ourselves, and we, they, we're, there are those that we look up to in the world. We want to look at those who are successful. When politicians run for office, they'll often bring in celebrities to speak for them. Because they know that people admire celebrities. Yet I've, I've yet to figure that one out, too. But people admire them and, and hold them in high esteem and consider them successful so they, their words carry more weight. While athletes and celebrities and those who are successful in, in maybe our office or are popular on our campus can and do have a level of influence on us, I believe the greatest influence on our lives, and we're going to see this today because there's going to be a twofold exhortation in this message, I believe the people that have the greatest impact on our lives, while certainly musicians can especially if we as parents don't keep that from happening. And we know that celebrities can and athletes can. But the people that have the greatest impact on our lives, whether good or bad, are our parents. And you know, our Heavenly Father is the ultimate example, but you know what? He desires that we, as godly parents, be the greatest example for our children. And it's only going to happen as we follow our Heavenly Father. It's a daunting fact to think that for those of us who have children, that our children learn more by imitating and watching than any other way. They imitate us. They do. Whether they admit it or not. And the fact is that our actions are impacting our children either in a positive or a negative way. Now this will date me a little bit, but there was a commercial many years ago an anti-smoking commercial. And it was a man and his little boy, and you see the man walking along, and he picks up a rock and skips it across the lake, and then the kid does the same. And then the man, you know, there's a can, and he kicks this can, and his son runs behind him and kicks the can. And, you know, the guy walks by, and he kind of brushes a, a tree limb, and his son brushes a tree limb. And then he sits down to smoke a cigarette, and his son reaches down and picks up a stick and pretends like he's smoking a cigarette. And the whole point of the commercial was that you're influencing your kids in the way that you act. And you know what? That's an absolute fact. Our children are watching us. They imitate our behavior. I've seen it in my own home. We were watching videos just recently when family was up here. And my boys, starting at age two or three, would love to put on my shoes and try to walk around. My son would put on my tank top when he was two years old. and be dragging down to his feet with my shoes on and would walk through the house and say, I'm daddy. Your kids imitate you, whether in a good light or in a bad one. They'd sit behind the wheel of my car. Or, you, know, and you know what? I like sports and it's amazing. My kids all like sports. For the most part, they like the same teams I do. You know, now they're getting older, they wear the same cologne I do. They want to know if they make long sleeve, bright colored polo shirts in their size. <laughs> our kids follow our example. You know what? I even believe that 
they realize that they're following our examples at a very young age. You know, one of my most treasured possessions, this will show the soft heart of your pastor. One of my most treasured possessions is a small little frame poster my daughter Ashley bought me for Father's Day many years ago. She was seven or eight years old and she asked her mom to take her to the Christian bookstore to buy me a present for Father's Day. I think she paid for it with her own money. I know she picked it out herself. And it... I was a pastor, Chuck Paws. Very long. The little poster sits on my desk and it says this. Dad... Let your heart follow your heavenly fathers because there's a little heart following yours. You know what? It's so true that we are an example to our children. And some of the ways they've imitated my behavior have blessed me and some of the ways they've imitated my behavior has broken my heart. And I think as parents we can all say the same thing. You know, some of the ways it's blessed me, I remember you know, when my children were little, God put on my heart every night to go in and pray for them. From their very young age, I would go in and lay hands on every one of my children and pray for them every single night. Often after they'd been asleep for hours, sometimes they would wake up and notice I was praying for them, but it was an every night ritual in my home. Something God put on my heart, something I love to do. And you know, it was, wasn't many years later that after I'd been doing this for years, I was very sick one night, laying down on the sofa. had a high fever, I didn't want to get my wife sick, I had sweat, so I was laying on the sofa, sleeping down there to keep the rest of the family from getting sick. In the middle of the night, I heard someone go into the kitchen and make some noise. I'm laying there half asleep, and all of a sudden, I feel a little hand on my forehead, and I look up as my daughter praying for me. Our kids follow our example. We are to imitate our Heavenly Father because our children are imitating us. Amen? And it's so key, it's so important. Now, I want to say this, lest you get a false picture of your pastor, that he's always this spiritual guy. I want you to know, too, that at the same time, I'll correct my children for maybe raising their voice or talking back or something like that, and they'll look at me and say, Dad, you do it, too. And that's a big ouch. Because there are times when they can imitate our behavior when it's godly, but they'll also imitate our behavior when it's ungodly as well. Amen? And so... As we look at the text, I know I've spent some time on this intro because I want us to see that God has called us to imitate our Heavenly Father. And it's important that first, that's for us, that we imitate our Heavenly Father. But know that as we imitate our Heavenly Father, it will impact everyone around us. Our co-workers, our friends, our nieces, our nephews, and most importantly, our children. As we will see from this, morning te- this morning's text, the only way we can be a godly example is to follow the ultimate example, our Heavenly Father. So three points in this morning's text in imitating our Father. Number one, we're gonna, we need to walk in love. Imitate our Father by walking in love. Number two, by walking in purity. And number three, by walking as children of light. So walking in love, walking in purity, and walking as children of light. Again, imitating our heavenly fathers. Let's begin in verse 1 of chapter 5 of imitating our father, walking in love. Look at verse 1. 
therefore. When we see therefore, we ask, what's it there for? It always ties into something that has previously been said. In this case, I believe everything that Paul has written up to this point, but most specifically the last couple of verses of the previous chapter. Look what he says, and I'm going to read verses 31 and 32 to you of, of chapter 4. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice, and be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Here we see the picture of God, His incredible forgiveness, His incredible grace, His incredible love for us, the way that He's forgiven us in spite of us. What a great and an awesome God. And he says there, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as Christ forgave you, therefore. In light of all that God has done for us, therefore. How are to we, we to respond? How are we to put away those things that we struggle with? And here's what he says, therefore, be imitators of God. Imitators. In our actions, in our attitudes, and in our words. You know what's interesting? The word there for imitate is the word mimic. We're to mimic God. You might say, how is that possible? I've never seen God. Well, the apostles said that, and Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. You want to mimic the Father? Mimic Jesus. Imitate Jesus. Follow Jesus. Live your life like Jesus Christ. Now, does that sound like we're to live like the world? It's the exact opposite of what the world tells us today. Imitate the athlete. Imitate the celebrity. Imitate the rich and powerful. Pursue them. Want to be like them. Pattern your life after theirs. No, pattern your life after Jesus Christ. Pattern your life after the creator of the universe, the one who loves you so much, he'd rather die than live without you. Understand, it says be imitators of God. We imitate God. And what did God do? He took the sin of those who mocked him, blasphemed him, cursed his name, took all of their sin upon himself and suffered and died in their place. And he says be imitators of God. We're to reach out to the world, seeking to have them be restored, just as our Lord reached out to them. How are we to be imitators of God? As dear children. Again, we are children of Almighty God, and so we are to follow His pattern. Again, He's Abba Father, which means Daddy. And Daddy is somebody who we can come near. Daddy is somebody who we can have intimate fellowship with. Having been born again through our faith in Christ, we're now partakers of His divine nature, new creations in Him, indwelt by His Spirit, no longer dead. We're His dear children, and He has equipped us for every good work. So as His children, we're to imitate His, fa- his character, mimic His character. You know, my dad and I worked together for years, and I know you've seen this with fathers and their children, or mothers and their daughters, and mothers and their sons. And a child will do something, and you know their father or their parent, and they go, man, you reminded me of your father just then. I can't, you know, people say it to me all the time, my dad and I work together, they go, when you said, man, you, you, man, that was your dad. And you know what we do? We imitate the behavior of our parents. We imitate the behavior of those 
who we spend time with. Our physical characteristics come through genetics, but our behavior comes from learning and watching and imitating those we spend time with. So how are you going to imitate God? You must spend time with Him. You cannot imitate somebody that you never spend time with. You know, it seems so simple, and some people even said to me, Pastor Dave, no, I want the real answer to my problem. Because they come in and I'll say, are you spending time in the Word? Well, no, I've been kind of busy. How's your prayer life? Don't really have one. You in fellowship? Well, not really. Devotions? No, not really happening. Go do those things. But no, I need the answer to my problem. That is the answer to your problem. Because when you spend time in the presence of Almighty God, everything changes. Your priorities change, your passions change, and even the way you view your problems is going to be different. And you cannot imitate God and be salt and light to a lost and dying world if you don't spend time in His presence. We must seek first the kingdom of God. We must desire Him above all else. How do we imitate Him? Look at verse 2. And walk in love. You know what? The word there for love, I'll give you one guess. What do you think it is? It's agape. If you're new and you don't know what that means, agape is a selfless love that is the fruit of the Holy Spirit. A love that gives and esteems someone outside of itself as being greater than itself. So walk means daily conduct. So have your daily conduct be an agape love. How do we imitate God? Our daily conduct is in agape love. Our daily conduct is esteeming others greater than ourselves. Our daily conduct ought to reflect the selfless, selfless agape love of our Father and the selfless agape love of His Son who so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, our Father, that we should not perish but have everlasting life. Selfless love gives. Selfish love takes. And sadly, most of the world we live in today has misinterpreted the word love. 1 Corinthians 13 tells us, Though I speak with the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I become a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. Without agape, we're just making noise, you guys. You know what? I don't care what you do for the kingdom of God. If there's no love, it's worthless. There must be love. The Bible says in Galatians that the fruit of the Holy Spirit is love. And then there's a list. Love, joy, peace, kindness, good. But all of that describes love. And if there's no love, it's a waste of time. We have a six-word philosophy of ministry here at Calvary Chapel. Preach the word, love the people. That's it. And you know what? I want to have the best-fed, most-loved people on this planet. And we need to have that love. If there's no love, it's of no value. Imitate the Father. How do we imitate the Father? By walking in love. Guys, I don't hug you because I'm weird. I hug you because I love you. And you know what? We ought to love each other. Because the Lord first loved us. Christ also loved us and gave Himself for us. Look what it says. Christ also loved us and gave Himself for us. We're an exhibit of the same kind of self-giving love. We're to exhibit that love to others, that same love that God has for us. The greatest picture of God's love is seen in the sacrificial death of His Son, who out of love for us died in our place. You know what? 
I think it's a good idea to maybe watch the Passion of the Christ once or twice a year. We need to be reminded of how much our God loves us. How do you determine the value of something? What somebody is willing to pay for it. Amen? How much was paid for you? How much does God love you? And I think sometimes because we don't grasp the depths of God's love, we'll turn somewhere else to find answers when we struggle. But when you realize how much God loves you, He'd rather die than live without you. You're His treasured possession. Where in the world else would we turn? Walk in His love. And exhibit that love to the world around us. Because as Christ died for us, we too need to die to ourselves. Romans 5.8 says, But God demonstrated His own love towards us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't die for you when you were perfect. He didn't die for you when you quit smoking finally. He didn't die for you when you got, got a hold of your tongue and stopped cursing. He didn't die for you when you got all your ducks in a row and got your bills paid off. He didn't die for you. He died for you when you were at the bottom of yourself. Where you were in the gutter and your life was a total disaster and there was no hope. That's where Christ died for you. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Amen? And it's only the enemy who would make you want to think that I've got to get better before I can be acceptable to God. You're acceptable to God right now, not because of who you are, but because of the work of His Son upon the cross. He died for us. He loves us beyond what we can imagine. And we're to love others with that same love. It says there, for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God, a sweet-smelling aroma. Does this blow you away that when Jesus hung on, a, on the cross, He was scourged beyond recognition? He was beaten to the point where his organs were exposed. Most people died of scourging. After his scourging, after being beaten, after being mocked, after being spit upon, he hung on a cross and died the most torturous death ever. And at the same time, in the midst of all that, took the sins of all mankind upon himself. And this verse says, it was a sweet-smelling aroma in the presence of the Father. Doesn't that seem wrong even? How can that be a sweet-smelling aroma that his son suffered so much? You know why? It's a sweet-smelling aroma because of the fruit that that act produced. What did it produce? It restored sinful man back to holy God. It is a sweet-smelling aroma in the presence of the Lord. It was the sacrifice that was well-pleasing to God. And you know what, guys? So too, it's a sweet-smelling aroma to God when we sacrificially give of ourselves out of love in service to others. You know what? I've yet to meet a person in my life who's depressed who's serving others. Never happens. You know who's depressed? Self-centered people. It's all about me. So I'm depressed. Because I don't have this, and I don't have that, and I don't have this. Get over it. Get your eyes on Jesus. Amen? Because you're depressed because you're focused on yourself. Well, I'm this and I'm... Yeah, you're right. Turn to the Lord. Amen? We don't need self-esteem. We need to esteem Christ. We esteem ourselves way too much. That's the problem. We need to be imitators of God, willingly laying down our lives for others. The people who have the greatest joy are those who serve others. You've heard me say it. The acronym for joy, Jesus, others, yourself. J-O-Y, Jesus, others, yourself. And as long as we keep that perspective, we truly will have joy. 
John 15 says this, Greater love has no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Are you laying down your life? Are you laying down your life for others? Are you laying down your life for the Lord? Are you, if you're not, you're not imitating the Father. You're not imitating the Son. You're pursuing the things of this world. Now understand, there's a, a contrary word to that word agape. The word is eros or Aaron. And eros is a selfish love. It's a physical love. It's a love that says, what can you do for me? My love for you is based on what you can do for me. Agape is a selfless love that says, what can I do for you? How can I love you? How can I serve you? How can I minister to you? How can I lay down my life for you? As we're going to see next week, it says, husbands, agape your wives as Christ also agape the church. Not husbands, what can your wife do for you? But husbands, what can you do for your wife? Often in the world today, and this is the struggle, you guys, and I'll talk to the youth group and your single people that are here, we think that we've got it all figured out and we go out and find an unbeliever because, well, he's fine and he drives a nice car and he's going to take care of me. But you know what? If he doesn't know God, he can only have Aaron love. That's all he can have. She can only have Aaron love. You want to be married to somebody who all they think about is what you can do for them? You want to be married to somebody who's self-centered, self-focused? Marry somebody who doesn't know God. Marry somebody who doesn't know the Lord because it's impossible for them to have agape love because that is the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And we try to make excuses. And guys, it's it's gasoline in a fire and the explosion will happen. That's why we must say, Lord, you know what? I want for my children wives and a husband who will have agape love for them who will love them supernaturally. I don't want them to suffer and go through the difficulty of being married to somebody who doesn't know God, who only wants to take from them. And you know what? What we use for bait will determine what we catch. Amen? And if you use your flesh and you use your body or you use your finances or the car you drive or your success, then you're going to catch somebody who's attracted to that. You want a godly woman, be a godly man. You want a godly man, be a godly woman. They'll be attracted to that. You know what? A marriage with agape. Agape, each serving the other. Each esteeming the other greater than themselves. We're all still going to struggle with selfishness. But the point is, without agape, you can, that's all you can do. Is struggle with selfishness. Greater love hath no man than this, that he lay down his life for a friend. Be imitators of God. Walk in love. Lay down your life for others. Don't esteem yourself yourself esteem the lord you know what guys we may be willing to die for the lord if necessary but god may not have you die all at once you know we thought about that yeah i'm willing to die for the lord i'll die i would and you know what i believe most of us probably would you know if somebody came in with a gun and said you know deny god or die you're gonna have to shoot me because i'm not denying god and i think most of you would probably do the same Some of you would say, I think my lights are on in my car, but I'll be back in a minute. But you know what? Sometimes I think it's easier to face a shotgun to the head than to die one piece at a time. To give a little bit away here and a little bit away there and be willing to, you know, and and say, Lord, you know what? Okay, yeah, I'll die in that area of my life. 
Okay, Lord, yeah, I'll die to that. Okay, yes, I'll die to that. Yes, I'll give that away. Yes, I'll serve you in this area. Yes, I'll serve you over here. You know, Pastor Don, my pastor in San Jose, the one who God used to send me over here, you know, said, hey, man, I was willing to die for the Lord. I just didn't realize he was going to take me one piece at a time because he had a stroke and went blind in one eye and then had to have a piece of a lung taken out. And he said, man, just take it all, Lord, or none of it. You know what, the, the heart ought to be that, Lord, my life is yours. I'm going to walk in love. I'm going to imitate you. Lord, I'm going to love the world the way you do. I want to see the world through your eyes. I want to walk in agape, selfless love, esteeming others greater than myself. How do you know somebody's a servant? By how they respond when someone treats them like one. Amen? Who do they think I am, a servant? Yes. That's exactly what you are. Amen? School of slavery instead of school of ministry. I don't know how many people would sign up. But that's the truth. That we are called to, to esteem others, to imitate the Lord by walking in love. But not only should we walk in love, but God desires that we would walk in purity. Love is the outpouring or the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And so too, purity is something that we as believers should walk in. First Peter 1 says, As obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lust." as in your ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in your conduct, because it is written, be ye holy, for I am holy. Now, I know that some of you struggle to say, Pastor Dave, you preach grace, 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 and then we get to a chapter and all of a sudden you talk about holiness, holiness, holiness. Which is it? It's both. Amen? It's by grace we've been saved. Holiness doesn't save us, but grace ought to produce holiness in our lives. Amen? Don't think of this as being works-based salvation. It's works that come from salvation. Not faith or works or faith plus works, but faith that works. Amen? And so we're going to see here this exhortation to walk in purity. Look at verse 3. But fornication. Now, the first two verses he talks about walking in love. And the first word he talks about in verse 3 is the greatest counterfeit to love. This is the opposite of love. Fornication. The word there for fornication is pornea. Where we get the word pornography. And I know we have a youth group in here, but you guys hear this garbage, so you're going to hear the truth now. Amen? Here's the truth. The truth is that the greatest distortion of love, of agape, is lust. Lust masquerades itself as love and tries to use the word love in its place to dupe people into thinking that that's what it is, but it's not. Pornography is all about what that image can do for me. That's lust. That's eros. Fornication is all about what can you do to fulfill my needs. That's, for, that's lust. That's eros. That is not agape love. Adultery, fornication, homosexuality, pornography. You know, people call it making love, but that's the furthest thing in the world from what it really is. And it's so sad. Because it's a, this eros love that's concerned only with the fulfillment of self and doesn't care what it does to the other person. You know what? Because I love you, I'm going to speak straight. I know that's unique. I'm going to speak straight with you. But here's the truth. Some of you in this room right now are involved in fornication, adultery, pornography, and you know what? The Lord loves you, He's a gracious God, but you need to stop. 
You need to stop. You need to stop today. Know that he, you know what? The prodigal son, you can take a million steps away from God, it's only one step back. The Lord loves you. Put a filter on your computer today. Or throw your computer out in the garbage. If you're struggling with fornication in a relationship, then you need to be accountable and you need to not be alone anymore. Amen? Now, that's not the world's perspective, but that's God's perspective who loves you and knows what's best for you. He's not keeping you from fun. He's keeping you from harm. Amen? He's keeping you from the trials and struggles that will come. Leading someone into sin and disobedience to God's commands. That's what fornication is. Oh, baby, you know I love you. I, you know, I would just love to be like right there one of those times. <laughs> you know what? Bag of hammers, you know what I mean? <laughs> Liar! Because it's heartbreaking, isn't it? Oh, babe, you're, making lo- you're not making love, you're lusting in your heart, and all you care about is yourself, and you don't care about the other person. You know what, I don't care if you're engaged, you're going to get married, oh, it's okay. No, what you're doing is destructive to your relationship and disobedient to God. Get right with the Lord. He loves you. Fornication and all uncleanness. This is dirty, immoral behavior. Especially, again, in the area of, of sexual promiscuity homosexuality, etc. It's also speaking of evil thoughts and intentions. As Christians, these things should not be so amongst us. Covetousness, greed, fraud, extortion. The insatiable, unsatiable desire for more to gain more. You know, your flesh will never be satisfied. How many of you found that to be true? You know, they asked Rockefeller, how much money do you need to be happy? Was it 1 million, 10 million, 50 million, 100 million? Was it a billion? Was it 2 billion? And he said, the answer is a little bit more. No matter how much you have, you've got to have more. And Satan loves to use that, that, you know, that desire and that passion that we can never fulfill. We've got to drive for more. And our flesh will never be satisfied. Godless attempts to satisfy the flesh that will never be satisfied. That's covetousness in, the, in this sense here. It's greed. It's desiring what someone else has, wanting to fulfill my desires. Then he says, let, not, let it not be even named among you as is fitting for the saints. Fornication, covetousness, and uncleanness should not even be named among believers. That's what this verse says. Now, Paul is writing to a church of people surrounded with sexual immorality, surrounded by idolatry, surrounded by prostitution, surrounded by pornographic images. He could have written this to Santa Cruz. We're just as surrounded by it, but the call is just the same for us. These things should not be mentioned among us. Amen? No, is this works-based salvation? No, this is responding to God's grace. Responding to His grace. Responding to His love. Imitating a Father who loves us and knows what is best for us. As we flee from worldly temptation, instead of seeking to imitate, again, our Heavenly Father, we are to flee from the world and instead seek to imitate our Savior. Though these things are prevalent in the world, they should not be prevalent in the church. It grieves me when people try to tell me, 
Well, divorce rate is just as high in the church as it is in the world. I disagree with that. Because you know what? I know very, a very small number of people who are on fire for God and seeking Him with their whole heart that end up getting a divorce. Now again, if you've been divorced, there are reasons why divorce does happen from a biblical perspective. And it can happen. And I don't want you to feel condemned. I want you to know the Lord is a forgiving and a gracious God. But you know what? We are to be different than the world. Amen? Amen. Because we don't imitate Hollywood. We don't imitate the soap operas. We don't imitate what's popular with the world. We are imitators, or to be imitators, of Almighty God. Amen? And walk in holiness. And walk in purity. Verse 4. Neither filthiness, nor foolish talking nor coarse jesting. So from sins of the flesh, fornication, uncleanness, and covetousness, to sins of the tongue. How many of you struggle with your mouth? James says it's a small rudder that steers a great ship. Isn't it true? Stinking tongue sometimes? We just open our mouth, and right? And there it is. And it's so true. It's such a huge struggle. So he says here, neither filthiness, this is obscene, degrading, or dirty speech, should not be coming out of our mouths. Youth group, you guys should not be listening to music where they're cursing your God. Amen? Amen. Eminem should not be at your house anytime soon. You know what? Because that stuff, and you know, I don't care if all your friends listen to it. When you put that stuff in, it does impact you. You get desensitized to that language. You get desensitized to the sin. I want to encourage you guys, you know, listen to Christian music. Amen? When I was a kid, we didn't have it like you do. We had, like, love song and stuff, you know? I wore my Bob Dylan album out when he was a Christian for a minute and a half, you know? But the point is, got to serve somebody, right? But today we have the opportunity to turn and be, you know, I love Christian music. How about you? I love to get in my car and just worship God. And why would I want to listen to people talking about anything else? Let's esteem that. Parents, be the parents. They got this stuff, you know, how about breaking party? Speaking of breakdancing, right? Give me those CDs out here. And get rid of them. Foolish and unprofitable disputes. Put that stuff away. Foolish talking. Coarse jesting. What is coarse jesting? Humor that is abusive and tears others down. Am I the only one that's been guilty of that? You use somebody else as the brunt of your joke? Should not be mentioned among believers. We should not be tearing others down. We should not be having foul language and filthy talk coming out of our mouth. He says there, which is not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. Rather, giving of thanks. It's not fitting for obscene or dirty speech. It's not fitting for foolish disputes. It's not fitting for abusive humor, but rather the giving of thanks, the building up, not the tearing down. I, I will openly confess that I'm as guilty as, you, as all of us. Can't we do that so easily, tear somebody down? It is so easy. You know, most stand-up comedians today, that's all they do. It's just get up and tear people down for an hour. And we just laugh. And you know what? As believers, we ought to be building one another up. Amen? Amen. Encouraging one another, not tearing each other down. Verse 5. For this you know. 
A truth that Paul had taught many times, something they knew, and something you and I need to know. Look at the rest of this verse. That no fornicator, unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let me read that again. No fornicator, unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Pastor Dave, are you telling me that if I'm living that lifestyle, I can't go to heaven? Let me just tell you this much. If you're living that lifestyle and you're not convicted to the very core of your body, you're not saved. What he's saying here is that someone who lives this behavior is not going to heaven. I think we might want to underline that verse. Amen? Kind of significant. There's no inheritance. Why? Because there's a seared over conscience, and this is the sign of somebody who is not walking with the Lord. Guys, I'm not saying that we don't slip. We don't slip. We jump, right? Amen? I'm not saying we don't on occasion jump into sin and feel convicted. We sin every day. That's a fact, isn't it? But the difference is as Christians, we're convicted when we sin. And he's saying these who just live this lifestyle and are, are walking in it and have made it a part of who they are, there's no inheritance in heaven because this is the sign of someone who's not been saved. These are sins of the flesh, all linked to idolatry. You know what's interesting, guys? You will become like whatever you worship. If you worship the Lord, you will become more like Him. If you worship your job, if you worship your finances, if you worship the world, if you worship fame, if you worship, you'll become more like what you worship. And because they were worshiping idols and the sexual immorality was running rampant, in the, even the idols themselves were pictures of sexual immorality, but guess what? It impacted their life. If you're worshiping, if you're listening to certain music, you know, again, the enemy loves to use music to get into our minds. And, you know, we have a tape we have a, at the office. If you haven't seen it and you have teenagers, you should watch it. They sold their souls to rock and roll. Huge impact. Draw us away quickly. And we need to make sure that, again, we're not following after the false gods of this world, but the true and living God of this world. Amen? Amen. Driven by the desires of our flesh. May, we not be, may that not be so as Christians, but may we be driven instead by the Lord. No flesh-driven idolater will inherit the kingdom of heaven. Unrepentant fleshly behavior and serving out of the false gods of this world will result in eternal judgment and separation from God. Guys, you cannot have two masters. Serve one or the other. God or your flesh. Choose one. Now again, I'm not talking about living in perfection because you can't do it without Him. But I'm talking about a brokenness over our sin. The sign of a believer is how we respond when we sin. Amen? Not making excuses for it, but being broken by it. Habitual sin and unrepentance is a sign of somebody who does not know God. Romans 1 says, Those who practice such things are deserving of death. Not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. Now listen, what that verse says is that not only those who practice such behavior are deserving of death, but those who approve of the behavior, even if they don't participate in it. Something for us to think about. If we're being entertained by the very sins Christ died for, are we not approving of the behavior? Amen? 
That was weak. Amen? Okay. Think about it. If we go and watch adultery, is that any better? Taking God's money and going down and giving God's money so we can sit and watch them curse God's name and commit adultery on the screen. How is that any better? And this verse would even say, for those who do the same, but also those who approve of those who practice them. We should not be entertained by it. We should not approve of it. We should be reaching out to those people in love, amen, and tell them there's a better way. Because can I tell you something? No matter how much money you have, no matter you know, how many men or women you've been with, you're going to be unsatisfied if you don't know Christ. Period. Tom Brady was interviewed not long ago. If you don't know who he is, he's won three Super Bowls as a quarterback. And you know what he said? He said, I thought there was going to be more. I want three Super Bowls. Something's missing. I'm yelling at the screen. Jesus! <laughs> I thought there was going to be more. I've won three Super Bowls. There's got to be more. Jesus! There is more. Amen? It's the Lord, and we need to point people to it. There's no way I'm getting through these verses. Verse 6. <laughs> you know the great thing about teaching verse by verse through the Bible? We can just pick up next week. Amen? <laughs> verse 6. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Let no one deceive you. The word there for empty words is the word for false teachers. You know, there were people in Paul's day, in the day of the Ephesians, called the Gnostics, who taught that all matter was evil, and only what you did with your spirit really mattered, and so because all matter was evil then whatever you did with your body didn't matter. So as long as you believed in God in your heart, you could live with your fleshly body that was evil anyway, any way you wanted to, and it would be fine. Now that sounds really good to someone who wants to live that lifestyle. Have you ever noticed how cults are very man-centered? Have you ever noticed that? You can have as many wives as you want, and you'll be God of your own planet. Really? That sounds pretty good. These guys who flew into the, you know, the Twin Towers thought that on the other side of the Twin Towers were going to be mansions and virgins waiting for them. Big surprise. <laughs> Not so much. The false gods of this world will always tempt us with that which is fleshly. Draw us away with that which is fleshly. Empty words. Let no one deceive you with false teaching and empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. You know what's waiting for those who bind to these empty words? Not pleasure, but God's judgment. Cheap grace. I've been saved, but now I can live however I want. God's word, his law, has no impact on my life. Sadly, many today professing to be Christians live the same way. The Bible says in Romans, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. Amen? We should not continue in sin. Again, guys, get this picture of God. He's not over there going, candy, can't have any. But I want, no, you can't have any. What? No, you can't have any. Oh, no, you can't ride the wheel. You can't do anything. He's not this no-fun bummer dad making you walk around with a black robe and a wheelbarrow full of rules with heaven at the end. Amen? Oh, I'm a Christian, just serving God. Oh, you know, that's not our God. <laughs> our God wants us to have lives filled with joy, and what He's keeping us from is juggling knives and playing on the freeway. Amen? Amen? He's keeping us from things that will bring us harm, not things that will bring us joy and blessing. 
The temporary satisfaction of the flesh will fade. Last verse. Man, I did not get far. Verse 7. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. Do not be conformed to the things of this world. Do not be partakers of the wicked works of this world. But walk in purity. Be holy, for I am holy. Guys, holiness is not a bad word. It ought to be the goal of every believer. It ought to be the passion of our life. Because holiness is wholeness with God. Is He holy? You want to be like your God? Walk in holiness. And you know what? You can't do it yourself, but I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can. I will never be sinless and perfect in my abilities. I'm going to blow it. But here's the difference. As As a believer in Christ, I may not be sinless, but I should sin less. Amen? I should be walking closer, desiring. And you know what? I should be grieved by sin. I should not look at sin and make excuses for it, but my heart ought to be broken over it. So, let's be imitators of God. Let's walk in love. Let's walk in purity, as we'll see next week. (laughs) Let's walk as children of light. Let's walk in the wisdom of Almighty God. Guys, He loves us so much, beyond what we can imagine. We're going to get to heaven, and we're going to be blown away by how incredible our God is. And we're going to be blown away, I believe, by what God would love to have done through us if we would have just let Him. Amen? Lord, not ability, but availability. Lord, I'm here. Lord, I can't do it without You. Lord, help me. Help me to imitate You. Help me to hate the things You hate and to love the things You love. Help me, Lord, to begin my day with You and to seek You with my whole heart. Let that be our prayer. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love You. We praise You. We worship You. And we thank you, Lord, that you are indeed such a great and an awesome God. Father, we come humbly before you, broken, Lord, over our own sin, asking that you would forgive us. Lord, I pray if there's anybody here that's been caught up in fornication or adultery or pornography or any of these areas that this text talked about today, Father, I pray in Jesus' name that they would turn from it right now. Lord, they would turn to you and, Lord, seek your strength, and seek to know your heart and to walk in the center of your will. That there be true repentance, Father. Lord, I pray for each of us that maybe it's not the sins of the flesh, but it's the sins of the tongue. Father, forgive us and help us, Lord, not to tear others down, but to build others up in you. Help us, Lord, not to be abusive towards people, but to walk in the fullness of your spirit. Lord, we want to be an example to the world around us, when they see us, may they see Jesus. May we be Christians, little Christ. May we be the moon reflecting the sun. Lord, we can't do it without you. Lord, we come again humbly desperate for you, asking, Lord, you would strengthen us and help us, Lord, to be, again, an example to a lost and a dying world, to reach out to people in love, never to promote our agenda, but only yours, not to desire to fulfill our flesh, but, Lord, to walk in agape love serving others. So Lord, we love you, we praise you, we worship you. We can't wait to see you. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Everybody stand, let's close the worship song.